Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I am joined by first-time guest, co-host of 3A Tennis Show and journalist Amy Lundy to name our most interesting ATP players to watch at Indian Wells. We discuss which of the top five seeds, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, and Berrettini, are best positioned to win the event. We offer a few dark horse candidates to make deep runs, chat about the many intriguing youngsters in the draw, and so much more. It is a fascinating conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Super excited to get Amy on the podcast for the first time. Hopefully, it will not be the last time. But with that said, without further ado, let's just get right to it today. Here is my conversation with 3 A Tennis Show co-host, Amy Lundy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a Georgetown alum known for her one-handed backhand. Of course, you may also have read her work on 538.com, ESPN.com, or for Last Word on Tennis. You may also know her as a co-host for 3A Tennis Show. I know her as my friend Amy Lundy. Amy, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, it's great to be with you. I'm at Indian Wells, actually. I'm going to catch some qualifying in just a bit. So really excited to see some tennis here. It's been a long time, too long. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool that they're going to play this tournament and then they're going to turn right around and play it again in March. Yeah, (laughs) It's fun, right? It's it's kind of interesting. There are so many players, if you have that sour taste in your mouth after the U.S. Open, where it's kind of like, well, you get the year's fifth Grand Slam, right? As Indian and Wells is always colloquially referred to and you get to stay stateside for a month it's just it's nice to see this event in the calendar it's also been really cool that it's opened up opportunities for events like Chicago and San Diego as well right and I think just looking at the fields there there's got to be a way to replicate this moving forward I I don't know if it's a you know moving Indian Wells to October that feels a little bit extreme but Finding more value in the few weeks before the Asian swing and after the U.S. Open, it does feel like the you know the we've cracked the code a bit here in 2021. 
Yeah, I'm all for shaking things up from the way that they've been done for years and years. I think the reason that this tournament is so successful is really just the TLC that Larry Ellison has put into it. He wanted it to be top notch and first class. And anytime there's a tournament on the calendar, uh, the organizers need to be that way for it to be a success. If they're just looking to make money, um, and it's like a quick cash grab, um, that's not going to work. Or if they're <laughs> thinking short term, which a lot of the tournaments do, uh, they think, ah, you know, can, can we make this a uh, big hit in year one or year two, instead of thinking like five, 10 years down the line, um, then that that's going to weigh, that's going to factor in into whether you got a hit on your hands or not. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I just feel like also tapping into Chicago. How have we not done that already? It's one of the biggest markets in the United States. There's an appetite for tennis. I happen to have grown up playing tennis in the Midwest, and you know all the kids from Chicago usually happen to be pretty good. Um, but you could just see whether it was the 125K event that had Raducanu versus Tossin in the final, whether it was the 250 that saw us Fidelina title, whether it was the field we saw last week. Chicago's here to stay. I think San Diego is going to find a way to stay as well, and it'll be fascinating to see that dynamic unfold. But of course, all of that said, the real reason I wanted to have you on the show today is to talk about your tournament last week. We're just here to recap that (laughs) exclusively to hear about your level of play and to talk about your Braves coverage. But I will say, so because you're maybe one of three people out there who might or just be able to judge if this is a good comparison or not, I tell my dad now and... You know, my older brother's 28. I'm about to turn 26. My younger brother's 19, turning 20. I tell him he's reached the post-prime Greg Maddox stage of parenting where, look, he's not hitting 94, 95, 96 on the radar gun anymore, but he can hit every spot in the book when he needs to uh, hit it. I feel like that's a good comparison. He gets mad. He's like, Alex, shut up. I'm like, no, that's a compliment. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the great thing about tennis is you can play at any level. As long as you reach that point where you're able to rally and Mm -hmm. and serve in return, um, there's a level for you. So I play at a pretty low intermediate level, (laughs) even though I've been playing for years. Um, And it's... (laughs) Admittedly, it's a different brand of tennis, but I'm also, in addition to competing, I'm really committed to stroke development, and I spend a lot of time on lessons, instruction, practicing, all that, because I want to... Um, I want to look right doing it. I'm a little bit vain and I want to be injury free and be able to play the sport, you know, the right way, the way that it's been figured out that you hit a forehand. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just awesome. It's like a never ending challenge. Great Mm -hmm. sport. No, I, I agree. That's why we're here today. I will ask, what's happened to the one-handed backhand? I think Victoria oh. Golubic's the only one who's got one in the top 100 in the women's game right now. And Yeah, I'm, but the men have it. You know, Do so. they? So who's, like, Tsitsipas? Yes, team, obviously, Roger. But I don't Sh- know, a lot Shapo of these Bala. young guys. Shapo, that's another good one. But it's yeah. it's a dying breed. No, that's they say that. <laughs> I mean, every year that is said. And then yeah. you get some hot shot, like, Pass come up with a one-handed backhand or you get team win a slam um you know every couple of years i go through this thing should i switch to a two-handed backhand (laughs) 
And just last night, I was talking to some people and on the tip of my tongue was, you know, if I move up in level ever, um, I want to be able to catch up to a faster serve and and be able to change grips and and do all that. Um, But every time I try to go away from it, when I come back to it, it feels like coming home. It's just I'm I'm a right hander and I'm very right dominant in everything I do. So I, I, I don't know. I just no. It's fair. I, it's the right stroke for me. Plus, I hit the backhanded volley. I hit a one-handed backhand volley. Sure. Not all women do that, mm-hmm. and it comes very naturally to me. Yeah. No. So. I I think the real the dirty secret is just most of us aren't strong enough to do it. It's just like I can't. <laughs> I have tried. Believe me, I've tried messing around, and it just it never works. It's not. You know, one coach once told me, like, Amy, uh, you're going to have to d- take your forearm and develop it into, like, a balloon <laughs> and able- in order to keep this stroke. It's timing, Alex. Yeah. You know that. It's not strength. It's timing. Well, no balloons here. You can see. This is all I'm working <laughs> with. Uh, but, yeah, it's you're right. And, again, it's – I also – look, it's, it's a shot. There's no doubt about it. Maybe it's just – but, I mean – whatever we've really the pandora's box is open here uh, but 12s and 14s if i saw one hand back in it's like attack but then yeah 16s 18s you start to see all of the better people it is just a sense of timing anyways all of that is to say uh obviously super excited to have you on the show today and thanks you i will say on the tennis channel podcast network there are I would say two people with exceptional eyebrows, but you get the better half of them today, uh, obviously. Eyebrows. I mean, eyebrows. if it's me or Gil and you're choosing straight up, I would take myself. Like, <gasps> duh, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gil's such a good egg. No. Um, and, and in fact, we're going to record later today, so I'll, I'll send him your compliments on yeah. his eyebrows. You know, if it's Team <laughs> Caterpillar, I would be the lead Caterpillar is all I'm trying to say. But uh, obviously why I wanted to have you on the show today, as you mentioned, you are staying and you are near Indian Wells as yes. you are going to be there all week uh 10 days, whatever it is, covering the event. And why I wanted to have you on the show today is to preview the event because certainly to have this event at this stage of the fall is not something we are accustomed to. And of course, the last time Indian Wells came up on the calendar, tennis got stopped for the next, you know, three, four months. And we've come so far in the 18 months since that uh, 2020 Indian Wells was canceled, of course. There are still some players defending points. And on the women's side, it's particularly fascinating to see what happens to Bianca Andreescu, her ranking, if she doesn't make a quarterfinal, semifinal sort of run here at Indian Wells. But on the men's side, no Federer, no Nadal, no Djokovic, who are the subject of three. What is three times? Never mind. I'll listen to the show. I'm fascinated to hear what that scheduling looks like. But first time since 2000, none of them are in the draw at Indian Wells. And, of course, we're coming off of a U.S. Open run that saw Daniil Medvedev be the first guy born 1996 or later to win a Grand Slam, to capture his first Grand Slam of his career. We saw a run in Montreal and Cincinnati that saw Zverevan Medvedev win titles there. And it does feel like on hard courts more than anything else— these next-gen guys are ready to be the best players in the world on this surface. And so, you know, with all of that in mind, I asked you to come up with a list of five interesting players heading into this Indian Wells, and we created some categories. I had, you know, uh, it's got to be one top five seed, one other seed, one player 21 or under, one American or one dark horse for the event. 
let's start with the top five seeds because obviously that's where the most sex appeal is but also it is fascinating right now you look at the race to the year-end finals things are pretty clinched you know you know Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev are all going to be there for sure Andre Rublev it would take some sort of drama for him not to qualify for the event ditto with Matteo Berrettini and you know when I last had Gil Gross on this podcast, we had this discussion. I don't think you people were calling it a small four at Cincinnati, and I don't think you can call it a small four. I think it's a key three. It's kind of Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev. They're on a tier of their own. Then you probably get to a Rublev, a Berrettini. Then you have, you know, kind of Sinner making his push, FAA, the Kasparudes of the world around there as well. Uh, of course, all of those guys are scheduled to play at Indian Wells. And for Andre Rublev, he was so exceptional in his first two matches in San Diego before getting knocked out by Cam Norrie. He's the guy for me. I would center, uh, would circle first as a top five seed, and I apologize. That was extraordinarily rude for me to not let the guests go first, but it just segued oh, no. more beautifully no, than I expected. Right I'm, I'm um, listening intently to everything you're saying. I appreciate that. <laughs> Rublev, to me, I mean, it's been a fascinating season for Andre Rublev. You look overall, he's 44 and 16, I believe, on the year, and you look at those 44 wins, I want to say that's good for, like, sixth right now on the ATP2, or, you know, I guess that includes guys with challenger-level wins and stuff. I'm going off of the tennis abstract numbers, but, you know, he has... He's played a ton of tournaments this year, and of course the Grand Slams were a bit disappointing, certainly not the U.S. Open run we would have expected from him, certainly in Australia. It felt like with how well he was playing at the end of last season, semi-final run wasn't out of the question for him. That said, 44 wins is 44 wins. And it is interesting to see Andre Rublev is one of those guys, and you can look at Tennis Abstract stats leaderboard. Our, my listeners are used to hearing this fact, but I like to make clubs top 10, 15, 20, 25. Who are the guys who are you know top 25 in both hold and break percentage? Do the numbers reflect what our eyes are showing us? Rublev is one of nine guys to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. It is, you know, Medvedev, Djokovic, Rude, Zverev, Nadal, Tsitsipas, Kareno Busta, Rublev, and then Ilya Ivashka, who we may get to later on in this podcast. Um, but, I, I mean, has he been elite? No, he's, you know, he's top 25 club, not tw- top 20, not top 15, not top 10. But he's been the best of the rest. Like, he belongs in the year-end finals. And I think when we look back at 2021, it was a step forward for him, wasn't it, Amy? Yeah. um, I I just want to take you back to something you said earlier. So you've got Zverev, Medvedev, and Tsitsipas as, like, the three that are, you know, emerging. Yeah. And then you put Rublev and Berrettini on the next level down. I would put them one tier lower, yeah. Well, I'm curious why you put Berrettini lower and not with the elites. Is there some sort of statistical? I mean, he went through a period where he just didn't play that much going into the U.S. Open. Was that it? Well, first of all, I knew this is why we had you on the show. Good. (laughs) This is already where I wanted to go. It's the backhand return. And it's just the fact that you look at the numbers. You know, he's currently, I think, it's 34th in return percentage. And... I just think those top guys, particularly Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, A, it's a minimization of weaknesses and the progression Tsitsipas has made on his backhand return this year, particularly on clay. 
it's good enough on clay. It's not an issue for him on that surface. And I think grass court, we just haven't seen enough of a sample size. Hard courts, I think he's fine. Um, I can't say that for Berrettini. And I know his last three losses at the slams were all to Djokovic, but just to see the way Djokovic just consistently attacked that backhand corner and parked the bus in that spot, even when Berrettini knew it was coming— I think those other guys can execute that game plan as well. I think Medvedev can do it. I think Zverev's going to be able to do it. And I just think Tsitsipas is a little bit more pop on everything, a little bit more polish, a little bit more dynamic. That's why he gets the boost to the top tier. I For Rublev, it's the fact that you just, you know, why those guys are a tier lower. For Rublev, it's just you know what you're going to get for Andre, and there's not really a plan B, plan C, plan D. They're getting better, but they're not at the stage of the other three guys. I would also throw Sinner and FAA both in those tier as well. I think everything you said about Berrettini, you can, you can just repeat it for FAA. Sinner will be in that top tier. He's just not 21 yet, and I have a strict have-to-be-able-to-drink-booze-to-be-in-the-top-tier policy. So <laughs> that's the only thing holding yes. him back, but that would be the answer. Okay. Well, Berrettini was not one of my players to watch, but mm-hmm. um, I was just curious, you know, mm-hmm. because it, he consistently shows up deep in these slams now. Mm-hmm. And um, you're right, though. He, he does have that hole, and it's not a secret, and everybody knows about it. Um, so we'll see what he does with that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had his, his same coach since he was a little boy, I think. So, um I don't know if they're going to want to radically change what he's doing or, or how committed he'll be to um, adjusting that. I know that a lot of the players work on these types of adjustments in the preseason, like wherever it is that they're they're doing it. A lot of them do it in Dubai and um, and make the the big changes going into uh the the start of this year so uh that is just something to keep an eye on but um that my one to watch that was a seed at indian welds is Tsitsipas. Mm-hmm. um and the reason is I, i'm a little bit um bias toward conditions i guess because i just played this tournament myself in um Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, which is about a half hour plane ride from here. And the courts are similar and it's the desert just like this is. And, you know, so it's um, gritty courts and um, kind of a a slow court, but um, fast air, if that makes sense, like the ball flies. And um, so it's similar in some ways to clay. And I know we know that loves club and uh, he, he hits heavy balls. So um, he's my one to watch just because of conditions. Mm-hmm. I, while I was looking this up, or I have it open, for to your point, you know Berrettini's 37-9 and nine in 2021? He's won 80% of his matches. It's freaking nuts. That is yeah. really, really impressive. And like the nine losses, three of them are to Djokovic. I see Tsitsipas twice, Medvedev once, FAA. There's a Davidovich, Fokina, and Bublik losses mixed in there that you'd be like, eh, not the best. Everybody but, has that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you get one or two of those. That is an exceptional season. Tsitsipas, you're absolutely right. He is very well suited for these Indian Wells courts. And what is another interesting thing, and it, this doesn't really apply to Zverev, but to the rest of these young next-gen guys you know, they've played one, maybe two main draws at Indian Wells in their careers, and 
you know, it, it, given it's colloquially referred to as the fifth slam, this is an event they're all going to play repeatedly over the next decade of tennis. And I agree with you. Why can't these conditions slow high bouncing? Doesn't that just sound perfect for Stefano Tsitsipas, who of course has a serve and I, I think in hold percentage right now, he's sixth amongst top 50 players and he's obviously been exceptional this season, career highs in hold percentage, career high for him in break percentage as well. He's getting better across the board, 49 wins for him on the year. Yeah, I, I do think this is a place where he could thrive and of course you look for Stefano Tsitsipas I don't want to say it was a disappointing hardcourt stretch for him because certainly the semifinal run we saw from him in Cincinnati, I thought he played really well. and He obviously probably should have won that match against Virev. It was certainly up big in the match and you know semifinals for him in Canada as well. But the fifth set loss to Alcaraz definitely leaves a sour taste in his mouth. And you do feel like he's one of those guys, much like a Sabalenka maybe would have been had she not tested positive for COVID, who just is more than anything else looking for the opportunity to play another big event and kind of, you know, get a, a better taste in their mouth heading into the off season. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Pass ever since the loss at the finals of Roland Garros hasn't been quite himself. And I know his grandmother passed away and um, there's been a lull, but you know, just being out at the practice courts yesterday and really looking at the surface, it now, and I don't know if the practice courts are, are uh, there's probably slight variations in the main courts and the practice courts, but it occurred to me that the surface really wasn't that different than some of the surfaces at Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, um, it's almost like the surface of a brick that's mm-hmm. gritty and covered with brick dust and um and uh so i i would like to see stefanos re-emerge here and and get his confidence back Mm -hmm. stefano Tsitsipas uh has played two indian wells main draw in his career he beat radu elbot before losing to dominic team in three sets second round 2018 was a first round loss to for him in 2019 to a wild card by the name of Felix Ogier Aliasim. Uh, so one and two in his career at Indian Wells. I don't think that number stands for long. Um, no, I I do think again he yes these conditions should be perfect for him and so I do look forward to seeing him back on court. We haven't seen him play since the U.S. Open, obviously, and he's a guy who's played so many matches over the past 15 months. And yeah, they had December off, but really. Since the tour uh, resumed in August, it's been nonstop. And, you know, again, in terms of ATP tour level wins, I believe he's the leader in the clubhouse right now this season with 49. He's been exceptional, and he's a name to absolutely watch. Again, a guy who's already clinched his spot in the year-end finals, a guy who's won a year-end finals title before as well. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, a chance to separate himself at Indian Wells. I mean, of the top five seeds, because I believe it is Zverev, uh, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, and Berrettini, is there one guy you're leaning towards in terms of the favorite entering the event? It's hard to deny Daniil Medvedev, right, just given everything we've seen from him on hard courts over the past, really, three seasons? That's recency bias, though. Okay. I mean, like, everybody does that. Everybody likes to play the hot hand. Um... 
It's tough. I, They're I, all well, good. I, 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 I would go with Tsitsipas because that was my player to watch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought of all those guys. And, um, I mean, maybe maybe um, Medvedev. By the way, I have a friend, a close friend who's Ukrainian. She's on my tennis team, and she also speaks fluent Russian. And she's been telling me that it's Medvedev. Okay, and, so a, a hard so, V, hard V. It's like, but her name her name happens to be Olya, yeah. um, <laughs> as half of you know Russians are. But um, Olya was like, Amy, uh, it's Medvedev, it's Medvedev. And I'm like, you don't understand. Half the world calls him Medvedev. So <laughs> I don't know how we, as a tennis culture, are going to make this change. And I don't really want to be the one to do it. But now, when I start to say his name, it starts to come out Medvedev. <laughs> So yeah. anyway, that's good. Um, I, I'm just going to go with Daniil. Let's just go with yeah, Daniil. Yeah, now that's correct. That is how you say it. Yeah. So um, I, he may be, you know, I, I'm just because I enjoy statistics and things like that. I also really do believe in the emotional things and the so-called intangibles. It may be that winning a slam um, will help him ride a wave of confidence and that this has unlocked something for him. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, playing the hot hand would be, you know, he'd be the right pick. But um, if you asked me today, I would pick Tsitsipas to win. It's a good pick. I I would go, well, it's worth reminding and another reason why Rublev was my pick. Uh, in 2019, when he was coming back from injuries because he was a guy who had made a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open, I want to say 2017, and was a top junior in the world and then suffered from a couple different injuries that kept him out for an extended period. 2019, he won at the time it was the Oracle Indian Wells Challenger, and that was a big moment for him to propel him back into the top 100. And just from there, he kind of went on a run. That was the same summer where he beats Federer in Cincinnati, and it was kind of like, all right, Rublev's back. Um, I guess that was 2019 summer. Feels like two lifetimes ago. Really wasn't that long ago. Uh, I do think a slow hard court for Andre Rublev, who has not always been the most fleet of foot. Now he's gotten extraordinarily much better with his movement. I still don't think he's the most fluid guy, but in terms of his straight line speed, it's very, very good now. I like this this surface for him because he's never a guy who lacks for weapons. His forehand, the way Delpo's forehand would at Indian Wells, is going to be able to hit through these courts no matter how slow they're playing. I like him. I looked at Zverev, 5-5 five and five in his career uh, at Indian Wells, and of course never feels kosher to talk about Zverev without mentioning the fact. Go read the pieces from Ben Rothenberg, Racket Magazine, Slate.com, that discuss the physical and emotional abuse he uh, or that his ex-girlfriend, Alia Sharipova, endured during their relationship. I do think there's still a world, though, where Zverev looks at himself and, like, who on the list of people pissed off coming out of the U.S. Open, it's Alex Zverev, who is like, I, I, he, I'm sorry for swearing, but he's going to look at Daniil Medvedev and be like, F*** you, man. Like, if I would have been the two seed, I would have won it, too. Like, you're welcome. Give me a half-slam title here because I'm the reason Djokovic was truly out of legs entering that final and you know again was that the ultimate factor we can discuss that I suppose or that's a different conversation um but I just 
Zverev's been the guy of that group, right? He was the first one to break through top 15, top 10. He was the guy who won Masters titles first. He was the guy who won the year-end championships first. Now he's not the guy to win the first slam. And one could argue, again, you flip them in the draw. I think Zverev does exactly what Medvedev did. I just... I could see a world where the most furious person coming out onto the court is Alex Zverev, and he ends up just ripping through and winning another hardcore Masters title, which obviously we just saw him do in Cincinnati. Yeah, his level of tennis since the allegations emerged has been quite high. So, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going on inside his head? Um, I I was reading a piece recently about the – basically the wiring of the um, female mind versus the male mind. And I read that men are better able to sort of categorize things going on in their lives. And it may be that when he gets on the tennis court, he says, okay, this is tennis and everything else that's going on in my life is over here. And it could be freeing for him to be able to play tennis i don't know um i do know that i read this morning that the atp is officially going to investigate so that shows that they're taking the allegations seriously and that's going to be something that zverev has to contend with um maybe maybe it'll be like good i'm glad you're investigating because i believe that you know, I'll be proven that I didn't do anything wrong. Right now, it's just allegations. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just something, it's an element that he'll have to contend with. And the other thing is, this is a guy who up until this year had a reputation of not doing well in best of fives, right? Um, And endurance was a question. And I can tell you, even in October, it's still hot here. Yeah. Like it's really, yesterday was really searing hot. And and today I think it's going to get up close to 100. So if endurance is a question, then he'll be a question mark. And that's why he wasn't in my one to watch. That's fair. And I think we've hit on all of the top five seeds now. So there's your five people. But uh, let's, uh, again, it's what's so interesting is that there's still, even with the Medvedev title, I don't think he's the definitive front runner. Like I do think the case for a Tsitsipas or a Zverev or even a Rublev or a Berrettini, they're absolutely worth entertaining. But with that in mind, I'll open the floor to you. Any category, any player, who's on your mind? Give me another most interesting guy to watch. Okay, well, don't get mad. I kind of <laughs> – when I, when I made up my list, I kind of forgot about the categories, but I still good. think I hit everything anyway. Okay. Um, I've got some good names here, but I'll, I'll just sort of start with the more straightforward, and then we'll go to the, toward the more intriguing. So I've got Sinner. Okay. And the reason I like him is the heavy, heavy backhand. I think the guy's got one of the heaviest balls in terms of uh, any wing, um, any stroke in in men's tennis. And I like it on this surface because that's going to put some guys in jail, mm-hmm. um, particularly if he's locating it, um, plus the serve. And um, I just – I saw him play at the U.S. Open, saw him dig himself out of a couple of – situations and um he's a cool cat i like the way he's playing so that's one to watch i i mean getting to see him in person at the city open this year 
deceptively long, right? Like, he's taller than he appears on the screen, and the power he can produce out of the corners, you're just like, how do you do that? I agree with you. There's a sonic boom club where the ball coming off of the racket just sounds different than ever before. I think Felix, Rublev, and Sinner are all in that sonic boom club where you're just like, what was that? Like, how do you do that? And it's just a matter of, you know, again, it's when not if he's going to become a top 10 player you look for him his ability to defend his title in Sofia last week on indoor hard court served extraordinarily well and for him that's been the big component for him that's come along this season he's still not quite in that top 25 club but you look for Yannick Sinner career high for him this year in terms of hold percentage uh you look for him and what he's been able to do and again these numbers from our friends over at Tennis Abstract but for Yannick Sinner to go I believe it was a career average for him in ATP level matches of uh, about 76% entering the season. He's at 80% now for the year. And again, when he's holding serve 80% of the time, he's a guy who's top 15 already in break percentage, just the opportunities he creates from for himself from the baseline. I feel like he's gotten a lot better at the net as well. Certainly a guy, half the battle it feels like at the net is knowing where to go and what to do when you get there. And he matches that part of the equation. Now, it's not the most natural feel, but he's good at the net. And the opportunities present themselves. And with his ground stroke power, a lot of it's just make the volley and you win the point. And he makes the volley. I I agree with you. Again, another guy, we've seen the clay court success, a slow hard court, throw him in. Mm -hmm. And so I I like that inclusion. I, I think that's a good name. I mean, obviously under 20 years old as well. By the way, for the guys 21 and under, here's the list of players who have made multiple ATP finals. Okay. Uh, FAA's made eight. Sinner's made five. Korda's made two. Nakashima's made two. Doesn't that just hmm. feel like about right? Like, I know Alcaraz will get there very shortly, but, like, those are kind of the next guys. I call them the usurpers. Like, they're just, they're coming. Yeah. I like that word. Um, really good. The usurpers. It sounds like the, the next uh, series on Netflix that we're going to, you know, the usurpers. Um, yeah. When they, ACP does, yeah. When they do their Netflix behind the scenes of that generation, they yeah. can have the title. I'll give that away. The same way I told Mark Lucero, call your podcast, check the mark. I was like, just trust me. Okay. And he was like, yeah, he's like, actually, that's pretty, yeah. So, um, but no, I, Sinner's a good name. I do think that's another seed to watch. I mean, obviously watching what Kasparu just did in Indian Wells, how can you not jump on that name? Although it just feels like at this point, what's left to say quarterfinals in Cincinnati quarterfinals in Montreal, I think it was third round for him. He held seed this year at the Australian open. Now wins San Diego, Feels like it was just a matter of sample size. Like, just wait for him to play more hardcore matches. You can see how the game translates. Uh, but a guy, I mean, I continue to be fascinated by who's of that similar tier, but just has not had that degree of success this season is Denis Shapovalov. Like, I, I'm curious where you're at for Shapovalov, 25 and 19 this year. I think he's only lost first round one or two times, but, you know, makes the Wimbledon semifinal. At the same time, just, you know, loses a head scratch. It just seems to lose a head scratching match to Lloyd Harris at the U.S. Open where he just never found I a way to. just scratched my head yeah. when you said that. It's like the power of persuasion. Uh, yeah, it's what I- exactly. But <laughs> I mean, 
It's not a matter of the one-handed backhand. Like, I don't think that's a glaring weakness for him. I don't think there are many glaring weaknesses for him. I just think it's so hot and cold. It's just like when Dennis is on and locked in and playing confidently, his athleticism can overwhelm anyone. And he does have that sort of top-tier explosion. At the same time, for every winner, it feels like there are matches where there are three shanks that go outside the stadium. Like, it's just... He's still super, super young, and despite the inconsistency, I think he right now finds himself 15th in the race to the year-end finals. He'd have to win in—he's pretty much out of the hunt. I mean, he'd have to like win Indian Wells and Paris or just do really well at both and hope the guys in front of him sort of stumble. But despite the inconsistencies, he still finds himself in the hunt, Amy. And so, like, again, is this just—is this what to expect from Shapovalov? I, God help the Canadian fans. It's a heart attack. <laughs> um, you say that the backhand is not a weakness. Um, it, it is deceptively, it is a weakness. Okay. And the reason is he's too aggressive there. Most people, their backhand, whether you're a one or a two, is a shot that doesn't break down and will, you can rally with it for days. And, um, it's your it's your bread and butter it's your setup to look for the forehand and with dennis he puts so much into that it's flashy it's memorable we remember all the winners Mm -hmm. we we don't remember the errors um we don't remember that oh within this rally this you know five shot rally he got himself into a pickle because of what he did with the backhand so it's so beautiful to watch that you think it's not um, a liability, but it actually is. It's just he needs to, in my opinion, he needs to start thinking about that side in a different way. So instead of, you know, making the the highlight reel or the cover of a magazine um, with that shot, he needs to use it as Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal all use their backhands, which is as their their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I do think it's a liability, actually, and that's probably the heart of why he's so up and down. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and I, you're, we're noticing a theme, he's got that sinner quality to him, right? That Tsitsipas quality where a slow hard court where he's actually got time to set his feet and rip into every ball I mean, his weapons are going to hit through anything. And so I kind of like the Indian Wells conditions for him at the same time, despite the fact that he's 15th in the race, despite the fact that he's currently 13th in the ATP rankings, the advanced metrics have not been as kind to Dennis this year. You look for him in terms of tennis abstracts, ELO ratings, which of course is measuring when uh, who you're beating, what that score is, as opposed to the when and where of the ATP ranking. Shapoval has fallen down to 29th in overall ELO. You look at it specifically for 2021 results, he's down to 35th. And I have to say, if you've asked, if you're asking me what sort of level of player has Denis Shapovalov been week in, week out, I think the ELO rating is more reflective of that fact. I don't think he's had the consistency of a top 15 player this year. And to your point, it's so interesting because I do think he has that gear to him where he can groove that backhand. And when he's in a rhythm and he's trying to create space for himself to set up the inside in forehand to create opportunities 
to you know go big down the line and to move forward he he can find that zone when he's focused at the same time because he is someone capable of blasting a one-handed backhand by you he likes to show it off and like yeah if you got it you got to show it at the same time it's about finding finding the balance and I do think he's a guy who's never going to lack in movement or athleticism and it's worth knowing he's still only 22 years old at the same time is his game dynamic enough to deal with the key three of or just you know the length and the physicality that a Medvedev and a Zverev throw at you over the course of five sets I just don't think the answer to that question is yes yet he doesn't have that consistency he doesn't have that resiliency yet that said, Indian Wells is two out of three, and so it's it's a fat. Mm-hmm. That's why he's so interesting to me entering this event. Yeah, and and with a serve like that, um, you know, and the fact that he's a lefty, you're you're always a contender. Yeah. You're always a headache for people. Mm-hmm. And that serve, it's beautiful. By the way, I if Cam if they just had like minute clinics of Cam Norrie's lefty slice serve out wide. I would watch it, like just on loop and loop and loop because it is so technically just flawless. And he was another guy I considered on this list. I mean, nine quarterfinals this season. The guy's been ridiculous. He's absolutely another seed to watch. But all right, with that said, uh, take me down your list. Who's next okay. on? Okay, so on I got Tsitsipas. I got Sinner. I've got Andy Murray. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, why not? Great um, hair. That's what I'll be looking for. He's, he's doing something different because 2017 Murray hair was not nearly as full as it is now. Oh, okay. Yeah, conspiracy uh, theory. Maybe some Rogaine action. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the, this is a guy who is thrilled to be competing again. It's like um, a house money type mentality. And he has loads of experience here. And um, remember his match against Tsitsipas at the US Open. It was a close match. Um, that, he was, he was mad. Mm-hmm. He was really mad after the match. That tells me that he really thought he could win that thing. And if he can beat Tsitsipas, why not? I keep watching his matches looking for any tiniest problem with the hip. Like, is he between points? Sometimes he seems a little gimpy, but then I think, no, this is, he's always been this way. <laughs> yeah. This is how he moves between points. Mm-hmm. So, um, just based on experience, um, I think he's one to watch. And, and the fact that he's, again playing with house money and he's hungry you know he he's not he doesn't seem just happy to be here he actually wants to compete so um yeah there's my there's my one to watch no i like it and obviously uh you look for andy murray he's on top well now it's a little tougher for him with points coming off the board i think he's down to 184 in the rankings but you know, a good run at a Masters 1000, he can make the round of 16, let's say. You can get yourself right back up there in the hunt to re-enter the top 100 on his own. Of course, he'll have wild cards into whatever he wants to play for the rest of his career. But I do think Murray has played better over the past month, and I've had the chance to chat with him a couple of times in pressers, and he's been reflective of that fact. He's like, look, I hadn't played six weeks of consecutive tennis, let alone two months or two and a half months like I have now in over two years and he's like while his movement 
I think I think Wimbledon was such a mirage. Like I, I think he played so bad against Bastler's feeling was so terrible against Oscar Ota. Like if you were a hardcore Andy Murray fan, to watch him slice that much on the court was just heartbreaking because you could tell just the fluidity in the corner, particularly the backhand corner, wasn't there. At the same time, the serve has been better since the start, and he's winning over 75% of his first serve points, and he seems to be aware, I have to go after that shot more. I have to shorten points up a bit earlier as well. And then you add in the second component, which is since the Tsitsipas match. If you watched him in San Diego, I thought this week as well in particular, he's just moving better. Like, his legs are slowly getting back under him, and it's a little easier for him to move left now, and he's swinging through that backhand a little bit more. It's not 2016 Andy Murray. It's not even 2007 Andy Murray, but it's a solid Andy. Like, it is an Andy Murray on the rise as well, and so you add in the hunger component to the fact that he's just simply playing better. I agree with you. Like, good while, obviously good wild card usage puts butts in seats, but... I think he's going to get back in the top 100 on his merits. If he can stay healthy, I think there is a top 50 version of Andy Murray still in there. Yeah. You know, when you get older, <laughs> I know something about this. Um, you, you do, you know, it's it's a cliche to say, oh, you get wiser, but you start to better understand how to rewire or recircuit around certain problems better than you did when you were younger. And you can, as you get older, you start to understand the value of efficiency. So when you said that Andy is realizing that he needs to do more with his serve, he's probably well aware of, in fact, I know he is because I just know he's probably well aware of the metrics that the vast majority of points or zero to four so he's probably in his mind working on getting a little bit smarter about how he plays points at the risk of you know being you know he he still has to balance that with being willing to play longer points um but i bet you he's he's such a smart sharp guy i bet you anything that he's really looking at patterns of play and um understanding how he can be more efficient within the short points that dominate the sport so um yeah i have top 50 sure maybe even better than that I know those metrics that the zero to four shots are the predominantly like I, I'm not questioning the validity of that. I would like to see a study done though on with the rise in particular in the success of Djokovic. How do those numbers look in Grand Slam semifinals and finals? How have those trends looked? Because I do feel like now, particularly in those later stages, the degree of physicality uh, Medvedev brings into the match, uh, Zverev brings into the match. Obviously, guys like Tsitsipas, uh, or excuse me, not a guy like Tsitsipas, but you know the guys like a Casper Ruud or just you know any of these guys down the list, Karina Busta, Schwartzman, who can make these matches so physical. I do wonder if maybe we have started to see the rallies get a little bit longer in the later stages of slams and you know again the reason I bring all of this up is I do think Murray's gotten a little like a little bit better it has incrementally started to get better in those longer points at the same time you're absolutely right the future for him 
is in those zero to four shot rallies is the plus one forehand landing the first serve. We've seen Andy Murray serve and Volier emerge. That's been a fun development. Um, yeah, it's and he's just he's back on court like he's andying it up as well. We missed all of the antics. I missed him yelling at his box. I missed the swearing and just all of it. It's just it's delightful to have him back. And so. Anyway, a, a great pick, certainly a guy to watch uh, here at Indian Wells. Where are you on the Karatsev situation? Because obviously Karatsev able to make that semifinal run at the Australian Open. He was so excellent down the home stretch of 2020 in terms of racking up challenger victories. And as such, from a metrics perspective, he was in the top 20 club, top 20 in both hold and break percentage for pretty much the duration of this season. Now he's finally fallen out of that number and it's interesting to know that for him it's actually his serve that's caused him to fall out it's not the return of serve the return of serve has translated to the ATP level it's his serve that's become a little bit more attackable that said you look for Karatsev what he's been able to accomplish this season overall obviously he's had a ton of success he's still 31 and 17 on the year you look for him in the live rankings Karatsev up to a new career high right now of number 22 you look for him in terms of the points race Karatsev 12th in terms of points accumulated here in 2021 it's not as flashy as it was to start the season but for a guy to go from playing predominantly if not entirely challenger level matches to just actually fitting into the top 20 and making multiple quarterfinals and winning multiple matches at multiple slams and just seemingly fitting in in the highest levels of the ATP tour it was a hell of a year for the 28 year old and I just I do wonder again Slow hardcore I like for him because he is a guy, fluid game, takes advantage of space well, had a ton of success on clay courts this year and on clay court challengers throughout his career. At the Just given the opening in the draw, right? There's no Djokovic. There's no Federer. There's no Nadal. We still don't know what to make exactly of the rest of this next-gen crew. I think Karatsev's a wild card. Like, I, I I guess, again, where are you on the Karatsev situation? You think he's a top 20 guy for the—or top 30 guy, I should say, for the next couple of seasons? I don't know where he came from. Well, I've, obviously, I know where he came from. It's almost unheard of in sports what he did. Um, so— I, I do know a little bit. There's a great video out there if you can find it on YouTube. Um, I forget the name of the guy who puts together these really cool videos. Anyway, um, if you if you get a chance, try to do a YouTube search on it because it takes you back through his journey. And basically, he took advantage of the pandemic and the fact that some of the fields were not as deep and... Um, there were logistical problems and things like that and he was able to get himself into some tournaments and he really parlayed that very quickly but how he did it how he improved so quickly and I mean Alex he wasn't just you know beating some some quality guys and making some deep runs in tournaments he beat Djokovic I mean, this is a guy who was playing challenger events, and then in a very short, less than a year, he beats one of the all-time, if not the all-time greatest player ever in tennis in that player's home country. (laughs) So I still don't know how he did it. Um, 
from a as a journalist from a journalistic perspective i'd love to see more stories done on him mm -hmm. um because i think if we can unlock what he did there and how he did it um it has implications for all of sports uh, by the same token i don't really know how he he didn't fall he hasn't fallen um he's still playing high, very high quality tennis but i don't really know how he went from that level to the level where he is now i just I, I haven't spent enough time watching him. I watched him a little bit during the U.S. Open, and that was the first time I'd seen him play in person. Um, so I, I do have an appreciation for the Cavs that everybody is talking <laughs> yeah. about. But um, just in terms of his game, I haven't I haven't tagged any of his matches or anything. I haven't um, looked at the analytics. So he's a player that I want to study more. But just based on the current trajectory, he wasn't on my one to watch list here. Mm -hmm. No, I, he hits his spots so well. It's just especially with that serve, whether it's the slice out wide on the deuce or just the kick he can hit on the ad and just his ability to take advantage of open space. I think he's going to fit in at whatever country club he wants to live at so well for the rest of his life as soon as he's done. Those ground strokes are just so beautiful. And you're just like, yep, it makes sense. And no, I mean, for him... Uh, it's a, it is a fascinating question. How do you make that jump? Because the game does seem so natural. It doesn't feel like there's any like specific thing. Oh, I changed this. My forehand was a liability, and I changed my grip, or I wasn't using my legs as much as I should have in the serve, and now I am, and I changed where my ball toss location is. It wasn't an adjustment like that. It was simply a mental thing where it's like, oh, I've ripped off all of these challenger wins. Let me go qualify for the Australian Open. Now, all of a sudden, I find myself in the quarterfinals, semifinals of this event. And um, yeah, it, I think the guy who's probably most satisfied was that he beat FAA, I think, in that fourth round. Everyone's like, oh, terrible loss for FAA. And now it's like, ah, actually, that's <laughs> Not like so bad. Yeah, exactly. No, that's <laughs> fine. Um, when you look back at it and no, I, I do think, again, because it's not the biggest weapon, it does feel like he has to be so locked in physically to execute his game. And maybe that's what it was, just using the pandemic to get fit and just, you know, again, you have four months to do nothing. I might as well go for a run today. I might as well yeah. lift weights today. And so maybe it was as simple as that. That said, you know, he's never played an Indian Wells main draw before and it's like you're 12 that's the other you know casper Rude's never played an indian wells main draw yeah. he's is he the highest ranked player to be ever be making your indian wells main draw debut like wow. it's it's not just that because of this guys. quirk yeah, yeah the scheduling exactly. quirk wow that'll be cool for him mm -hmm. that'll be fun to watch exactly and it's the same deal for karatsev and to get to experience the grounds, I mean, no one goes to Indian Wells and has anything but positive, you know, raving reviews about the experience. And so I think that's a funky guy to watch. Just interesting one to put on a note. Uh, but again, I know we've got, I think, two players left on your list. Hit yep. me with one more name. Okay. And, and I'm going to save the best for last. Or, I like or it. The one that I feel the most strongly about in terms of what to watch ability. So the, the second to best is uh, Brooksby. Who is also on my list. He was oh, my good. American. Yay. There's our overlap. Oh, we knew I, it was yeah, coming. I did it. Even though I didn't pay attention to your categories, yeah. I did it. <laughs> Great. Um, I watched a ton of Brooksby at the u.s open um because i didn't want to be you know caught unaware and i feel like i've got a real good feel for his game and um it's it's like uh, Berrettini. it's pretty obvious what he needs to work on 
um, the serve. Yeah. Uh, but he's got all kinds of fight in him, and he's got like um, an endurance that just won't quit. And I think he's maybe peaking in that area right now. Um, I can't remember his age right offhand. Maybe you uh, know his 20 age. Twenty years old. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I like so to think I've invented the Brooksby beat. I just it, we're uh, it's oh, a little good. sneak peek for our Crack Rackets uh, series. We are about to do uh, a series with his coach Joseph Gilbert about the development, his thoughts on just again creating a guy like Brooksby. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh but, no, no worries, uh, love it. To, to your point, and he's used this term, or I kind of ran it by him because I was like, "This is what it feels like." Agree or disagree? And he was like, "That's exactly it." It's death by high percentage tennis, right? It's just like I'm going to beat you with the 75% play over the course of three hours, and I bet you can't match it. And it's just like – I mean I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's the most compelling watch in tennis right now. Like I'm biased. I know him personally, and there's no denying that. At the same time, you could watch 30 hours of Jensen Brooksby consecutively and still be like, did he really just beat Felix 2-2? and Like – did he really just win that match against Taylor Fritz despite playing back-to-back four-hour matches the two rounds prior? He just continues to do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I have a good friend. I mean, I, I kind of pride myself on um, not just paying attention to professional tennis, like mm-hmm. understanding the sport across multiple levels and different cultures and places and i have a good friend who is in his 70s and he's a multiple world amateur champion for tennis world so like i think he won maybe in his late 50s he won all throughout his 60s and he plays like international competitions for his age level so he knows something about tennis and what he told me is that developing the serve is overrated so i think that probably has held true for brooksby because if you've got weapons and his weapon is his foot speed his endurance um if you've got weapons that are so far and away better than the people around you then that's going to take you far but my friend his name's bob litwin um bob's point is that um if let's say you've got a good return, um, you're still within that zero to four to have a really great weapon. So if if you waste a lot of time developing your serve when you don't really have it in you to have a monster serve, then you're wasting your time. And maybe you should work on fine tuning and honing your other weapons. So maybe Brooksby falls into that category. At the same time, if he made a couple of little technical adjustments, um, he could turn into a world beater. But the reason I picked him as one to watch for Indian Wells is because of the slow surface and i just played on almost an identical surface and i was getting to things that i never get to (laughs) so if i was getting to these things like i thinking to myself i have all the time in the world to get to this and on my 
shoestrings if I wanted to. <laughs> then Jensen Brooksby is going to have five years to get to every ball. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm really excited to watch him in this tournament, and um, I'm I'm happy to hear that he's he's healthy and doing well right now because I think he's definitely one to watch. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, you look for Brooksby this season. He's breaking serve over 30%. I mean, it's across levels, so there's some challenger success mixed in there as well. But 30% is the number. You look at that's the elite of the elite, and the guys who are over 30% this season it's Schwartzman, it's Nadal, it's Djokovic, it's Medvedev. That's your list. Like, okay, makes sense. Um, when you get to over 30%, and by the way, at one point, Daniil Medvedev this season and on hard courts, I think over the last like 15 months, he's holding serve at the rate of prime John Isner over 90%, which is wow. the elite number, and breaking serve at a number better than prime Nadal and Djokovic. It's like we might be seeing a guy who has broken the numbers statistically on a hard court, but uh, you look for Jensen Brooksby. I mean, again, he was over that 30% mark for the season. Now you look for him ATP-level matches specifically. He's at 26.5%. That's still elite of the elite. That would rank 12th amongst top 50 players. Now, you know, his hold percentage, you would think, oh, that probably suffers, right? It doesn't. Like, he's at 79.7%. That would be a top 25 number. And again, it's a limited sample size of matches, but it's worked for him everywhere, and it's just— He's the worst good volleyer I've ever seen. The guy has exceptional hands, can put the ball on a dime. But it, it's like, it's not pretty. It's just, I guess for such a refined product, and I've said this before, so to listeners, I apologize for repeating myself, but doesn't it feel like for someone who's so refined, there are so many low-hanging fruits for improvement? And it's just, that's why it's so fascinating to me. Because it's like, it feels like he could still get so much better. And then he's already pretty damn good. Well, I mean, if you say that he's the best, worst follower, I, you're probably talking about technique. Yeah, And exactly. te- technique is a little overrated. I mean, if Jensen knows that depth kills mm-hmm. um, and that to hit the first volley deep, if, if he even has to hit another one, um, you know, then that's all you really need. Mm-hmm. So... I want to, for this, for this tournament, I actually want to get in there and um, tag some of his matches and, Mm -hmm. and understand, I bet you anything that Jensen is winning a lot of the short points too. And it's just because, um, you know, if I'm playing against somebody like him, it it just is a mental toll and I'm going to start pushing and try going for lines and, and trying too hard to end the point too quickly, because the last thing I want to do is to get into a long rally with this guy. So that's his edge. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also, if they had a stat for returns put in play, he would be top five. Like I don't, I've seen him aced, but I don't think I've ever seen him miss a return where it's just, it's just, it's that's, that's, Mm. there's value in that, right? Oh yeah. That point start in the death. Djokovic. Yeah, exactly. Yes, there is. You can make a career off of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's got that value to him as well. I agree. Always interesting to, I, I really do think he's the best watch in tennis right now because there's also the intangible qualities. I just, the smile on my face whenever he tries to pump up the crowd like it's just it's just even that is a high percentage play he's like okay now i should be pumping up the crowd like it's time for me to pump them up and it's just there's an innocence to him it's just like he is a tennis player and i just i love it 
has anybody signed him now to like a clothing deal? I know he was wearing like a um, kind of a boutique brand for a while. Um, surely like Adidas is going to come calling, right? Yeah, so I know he's also intensely loyal and Uomo gave him some money early on and like he will always remember that fact. But I agree with you. How is he not in Nike? Like yeah. already it's just – the offer will come. Like it's good, good. good. It's, yeah, it's good. definitely. Because I, I want to see him set up so yeah, that his exactly. his travel is more comfortable and just little things, Alex. Like just being out at Indian Wells and seeing like all the players set up who they're practicing with and they they um, they get their practice hits and it would be great for Jensen to kind of get in that mix and and the more money that you have the more comfortable everything you know you're even things like the quality of your nutrition improves and for a, a player who is current player he'll need that so I would love to see him get set up. Um, maybe a good tournament run here, and, and one of the big boys like Nike will come calling. It's inevitable. I agree with you. Sign it up. Hey, that, <laughs> Fila, New Balance, someone's <laughs> yeah. coming calling. But all right, with that in mind, the spiciest name on Amy Lundy's well, list is— it's- it's not it's not a spicy name. It's it's the most one to watchable name, like the one that I feel the most strongly about, and that's Alcaraz. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, watching the kid play at the US Open, he has something that like Berrettini and and um, Shapovalov, players like that don't have. And what it is, I think, is um, an efficiency of energy. Um, he is perfectly balanced on just about every shot, um, particularly the forehand and backhand. Um, it's very in in my mind it's it's up there with Djokovic in terms of the core balance on the shots it doesn't even seem like he's putting very much energy into his ground strokes and they're inordinately powerful um so he's he's figured it out or it just comes nat probably just comes naturally to him mm-hmm. and he's i think he's probably six feet tall right now and what 18 years old um he'll probably grow another inch Mm -hmm. um so that puts him at six one which is you know happens to be the height of the big three um he's um he seems to be of sound mind and um i think he'll like the surface Mm -hmm. so I, I don't like to make picks or predictions, but he is my my most one to watch yeah. on my list. No, I, I have a short list of players I call locks to win slams in the 2020s, and it's Medvedev who's done it. Zverev, I think, will do it. I think Tsitsipas will do it as well. I think Sinner's going to do it. I think FAA is going to do it. 
getting harder and harder to keep Alcaraz off that list. And just, I agree with you. There are just some things that are so obvious. And of course, it starts with his ability to find and his ability to execute on forehands. It's second to none. And obviously, you look for him in terms of the rankings right now for Carlos Alcaraz with his run at the U.S. Open. He's currently in 42 in the live rankings. You look for him in terms of points he's accumulated on the year. Alcaraz, 23rd in the points race. You look for him, the advanced metrics. He's 12th in overall ELO rating like yeah he's on he's on his way and you look for Carlos Alcaraz still 18 years old there's a list of the youngest players ever to accomplish things at the challenger level and that list is Djokovic Del Potro Richard Gasquet who was quietly actually one of if not the best teenager freaking ever um Rafa FAA and Alcaraz like that's the list for all of these accomplishments as teenagers for all these accomplishments uh before turning uh you know at the challenger level and Alcaraz just continues to do it we saw it at the U.S. Open and for a guy who had the majority of his success at the challenger level come on clay his game has translated to hard courts immediately I don't think anyone questions how successful that forehand is going to be moving forward on the surface and he's another guy where you look at just his numbers on the season I mean even in his ATP level matches his break percentage is 32.1 like and that's over a course of 36 ATP level matches. That's a legitimate sample size this season. And while the hold percentage definitely suffers, and you do wonder, second serve for him sits a little short in the court, but he's 18 years old. Like, you're yeah. allowed to have a second serve that sits short in the court when you're 18. That's the thing that's always going to get better. And so, yeah, I mean, what's the weakness? Like, as much as you want, the strengths are obvious, but when you look at Carlos Alcaraz, how does someone break him down? over the course of two out of three sets other than if he's just not having a great day from the ground like I don't see a glaring weakness he's comfortable moving forward can play the slice play the drop shot good mover I think he's in the Tsitsipas brand of where it's just a powerful first step and I don't think he's going to have problems in corners like what's the weakness Amy I agree with you there not that i see and the the potential is sky high he's got great hands good reflexes uh, i do think the game is the, the men's side not the women's side but the men's side and the women typically follow is moving toward um, more net play more volleying um so he's got that and um a high performance coach once said to me when after he watched me hit ground strokes he said something that i'll never forget work easier not harder so in other words you know you're you're using too much oxygen and energy just to hit one shot well alcaraz has got that puzzle solved he's working very easy to accomplish a lot Mm -hmm. so um that to me is the number one factor and you know your um your usurpers that you have um this kid is gonna kind of circuit or short circuit those guys or go around them um he's going to possibly even usurp the usurpers i like it i like it uh (laughs) i'm still sinner over alcaraz just because i think sinner can match the forehand and i just think the depth that sinner's able to create on the backhand is a little bit better uh across surfaces now gill came on this podcast like five or six months ago and said that he actually thinks Alcaraz's best surface is going to be grass courts in his career. And it was one of the takes I'm most jealous of maybe ever because it was just such a zag. I was like, oh, like make the case. Let's go. Um, but yeah, it's 
that there's not that, there are no dislikes for Carlos Alcaraz. There's it's just everything thus far early in his career has been success after success after success. So I agree, it's always fun uh, to watch him on court. My last three names, and we don't have to go into depth because I've talked about them a lot on other shows, but Marcos Giron, Mackie McDonald, and honestly Taylor Fritz, three uh, and Nakashima, all the California guys. You want to throw nice. Stevie in there? You know all those Americans who I think are interesting. Giron's been really, really good this season. He's done it across hard courts, across clay courts, grass courts. Worked his way solidly into the top seventy-five of the rankings. I believe currently after his run last week in Sofia is at a new career high of number fifty-six in the live rankings. I mean, you look right now, this is an interesting group in the live rankings right now. Tiafo 52, Mackey 55, Garone 56, Tommy Paul 57. I mean, there are 14 Americans right now in the top 100. We're going to see the majority of them playing at Indian Wells this week. Can one of them make a deep run? Do we get another Opelka-type performance that we saw in Canada? And if it is, you know, who is that list going to be? I think Mackey and Marcos are right up there. Like, I... I do think, again, 14 Americans in the top 100. you got to feel good entering this decade, right? American men's tennis is in a much better place at the start of this 2020s. Yes. Um, and it, how, how many years have we been complaining about mm-hmm. American men's tennis? Um, and I think we are finally at a point not to complain anymore and mm-hmm. to just sit back and watch all these players emerge and um, – Players uh, like McDonald try to um, play to their strengths and and um, develop uh, what they can do well, and um, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to complain about American men's tennis anymore. Starting with this tournament, and let's see what they do. Yeah, I, I say this lovingly. If I never have to watch another John Isner match, I'll be okay with it. Like, I, I, I know what to expect. I can play that one out in my head. Um, but <gasps> outside of that, like, even Stevie Johnson has played much better here down the home stretch of 2021. And, you know, he's talked openly. It's nice to have fans back. And, you know, who the last person to win a match was at Indian Wells? It was Steve Johnson who won the Indian Wells Challenger in 2020. And then the next day, Indian Wells is canceled. And so, wow. yeah, hmm. he's back on surfaces he knows extraordinarily well. We'll have the home crowd behind him. It's all just setting up to be a really fun Indian Wells ATP event. And while I hear you don't make predictions, so I won't ask you for one, I will ask you, and for our fans who I know will be curious, what can they expect from you throughout the – is it a fortnight? Technically not really 10 days. Throughout the 10 days in Indian Wells, where, of course, can they follow all of your work? Well (laughs) – If I can get my, uh, I I thought it was a connectivity issue with the house where I'm staying, but it's actually a a problem with Facebook and WhatsApp. If I can get that squared away, I'm working on a story right now about the Australian Open. And uh, of course, the news came out that they are, the Tennis Australia is thinking of requiring all players to be vaccinated, which really sets up a conundrum for Djokovic and the other players that don't want to be vaccinated. Uh, some more information, um, not really related to vaccines, but related to something else. So I'm working on a story about that, and I'm going to go out to qualifying, the women's qualifying today, and I want to find like a Jensen Brooksby on the women's side that mm-hmm. to maybe do a feature on. And so I write for, I mean, I write for some pretty 
you know, high profile blogs, but usually only during the Grand Slam, like 538 is one of the ones that's an analytics website. Mm-hmm. That you know, they're not as interested in like Indian Wells. So I write for a blog called Last Word on Sports. And people are like, why do you write for them? Well, for one thing, they pay. (laughs) And for another, one of the few blogs like that that pays. For another thing, they've got really good editors. Like, I don't just write the story and then it shows up and I'm my own editor. You've got people looking at it. And there's a lot of value in that. Another set of eyes, vetting this, checking the facts and that kind of thing. So I write for last word on sports and then i do a podcast called three on djokovic nadal and federer and we don't just do like current day like news of what they're doing now we talk about their strokes and you know what history and and stuff like that so those are kind of my platforms right now no i love it if you're looking two words and lee that's the american to profile just i'm throwing okay, it out there great. that's the one she is the least heralded success story of the season in American women's tennis and it's hard because Pegula has been so great Collins has been so great Coco Goff is always the story of stories but I'm telling you Ann Lee's the one uh, Ann Lee is excellent so sold uh, yeah okay perfect that's you know that's what we did anyways just you'll let me know if you agree or disagree but uh sincerely I tell Gil this all the time I try not to listen to too many other tennis podcasts I don't want to be stealing ideas so others may say them but if I can convince myself it's an original thought it is what it is I do listen to three because I always enjoy it and I always enjoy what you Joel Gil are doing and so obviously I'm losing my voice here I'm emotional um but no uh (laughs) sincerely appreciate yeah all you guys do and uh, thanks we appreciate you too (laughs) and I don't for the same reason I don't want um to say something that I heard from somebody else so I don't but I do listen to you because you're you're one of those people that you're like the tennis nerd that really (laughs) um is into what's going on so i i enjoy your stuff a lot a tennis nerd with models eyebrows that's the, that's what i go for as <laughs> tell Gil that. yeah exactly but amy <laughs> thank you so much be safe be healthy enjoy indian wells and hopefully we'll have you back on the podcast sometime soon thanks alex Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with 3A Tennis Show co-host and journalist Amy Lundy. Of course, always appreciate her taking the time to chat. Always appreciate the work she, Gil Gross, Joel Drucker are doing on our fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network show, 3A Tennis Show. And hopefully, as I mentioned at the top, this will not be the last time we get Amy on the podcast. Of course, if you missed my conversation breaking down the most interesting players on the WTA side, talking about the race to Guadalajara with Tennis Channel editorial producer David Kane, you can find that here on your Great Shot podcast feed. We'll be doing Ace of the Day segments throughout the fortnight of Indian Wells. Recap each day's play on our mini break podcast feed. Hopefully, get the opportunity to be on Press Row, get some from the presser segments for you all during the show as well. But of course, as always, if you have missed any of our content, you can find it all on our website, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe for you to this show, our great our mini break podcast feed, Cracked Interviews podcast feed, and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. If you need the more immediate updates, you know where to find us, Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, excuse me. It is at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly? I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the 
about any job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our fantastic guest, Amy Lundy, Super Producers Fliegner and Westoff, our friends over at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.